Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of the Courage 2 podcast. We are here, and I am just so thankful that you have tuned in to this first episode. I'm excited for this season and the next eight episodes of just hearing some really cool stories from people and how they have exemplified courage in their day-to-day life. If you haven't listened to the promo yet, just to hear a little bit more about what the purpose behind this is, go back and check that out if you're interested, as well as uh, the interviews between myself and Olivia Zendo. So we will be doing the debriefs every single week uh, at the end of the week, just to kind of dive a little bit further into the courage topic that we talked about that week. But to start off this week, the courage to, we are diving into the courage to lead, the courage to lead. So Adrian Del Monte is going to be our guest for today, and he is a teacher and a podcaster in Toronto, Ontario. So he teaches uh, English at a high school. Uh, He also has his own podcast called The Wholehearted Teacher, which you can find anywhere podcasts are found. Um, And he also started a leadership program at his high school called SLAM. So he really desires to raise up a next generation of leaders and talk about what is good leadership and what does that look like. And not only does he teach it, but he also models it very, very well. He's also a family man. He is a husband and has three boys, which you'll hear a little bit more in the intro. But I was just so excited to have him on uh, for our first episode because I think he is a great person to talk about the courage to lead because he stepped in uh, to that really quite amazingly and has a lot of experience to share, not from just a headspace, but also from a lived space. So without further ado, here we go to jump into episode one with Adrian Del Monte. All right, so we are here with Adrian for our first episode of the Courage 2 podcast. Welcome, everybody. Let's just start off, Adrian. Can you just briefly introduce yourself so our listeners can get to know who you are a bit? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Madison. Uh, Such a cool idea to podcast. Um, My name is Adrian Del Monte. I live in Toronto. Um, I have three sons. They're eight, six, and four. Um, I'm an English teacher and department head, high school English teacher. Um, uh, what else do, what about about me? I like to exercise, uh, reading, reading's a big one. Hope we talk about books a bit today, Madison. And, um, I'm the executive director of a charity called Hopes Rise. So, uh, that's me. Uh, that, <laughs> that's quite a bit. And you also are a podcaster. So throw that I, in there as well. Yeah, I am a podcaster. My podcast is called Wholehearted Teaching. That's the name of it. Wholehearted Teaching. Everyone should go check it out. Uh, What is (laughs) life like teaching with three kids at home during a pandemic? Oh, that's 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 the question, I think, this year. Um, Life teaching with with the kids is. I would describe it as like two parallel tracks running beside each other so on the one track is the really hard stuff like aside from the logistics of the kids being on their own zoom calls and the kids i have three boys so they're busy active all the time aside from that you know you're 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 dealing with a lot of uncertainty and challenge and um you know we've had a number of friends leave the city you know because 
some for like philosophical reasons, trying to get away from the government. Others just because the housing market in Toronto is impossible. Uh, so you've got that one track of like the challenges. Oh, oh, and then of course my wife and I. You know, you fight a little bit more because you're with each other all the time, right? Now, it's not more than, but you just, if you're with the, each other more so, there's that track. But then I'd say there's another track that's run along during the pandemic. And, you know, it's been way more time together as a family. And we've prioritized things like uh, meals. Um, that's been a big one, laughing around the dinner table, reading, that's become huge. I think we have 150 books out of the library, like before things shut, when you could get books. So reading, we became a reading family. Um, and then time outdoors, that's another thing, huge. I mean, it's all we can do right now, right? So we've spent so much time in forests and nature. So, you know, it's an interesting question, how's life? I'd say both those tracks are running and it's not like highs and lows. They're kind of like simultaneously running together. That's that's what it's been like with my family, at least. And on top of that, I'm teaching, you know, teaching virtually. So there's that to work through as well. Yeah, it's like the the tension of the highs and the lows. And you get to hold all of those things at one moment. Like the yeah. good, the bad, all of the things, the stress, but still find the joy yeah. in the midst of it. So I definitely yeah. resonate with the outdoor time. I've explored so many trails in the pandemic just because it's all you can do. And the fresh air is so lovely. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. But you've obviously been teaching in the middle of a pandemic as well and had to pivot yeah. completely to digital teaching. And so that's yeah. kind of going to be the focus of today is talking about your teaching career, but also a leadership program that you've developed and podcasts and all that sort of stuff. So really honing in there. But how how is the shift for you moving to virtual teaching? Like, do you find your students have been engaging with it? Did you have to scrap everything you've done before and restart? Like, what did that look like? Yeah, that that's a great question. Um, I wouldn't say we've scrapped everything. I would say the hardest part of teaching are the same things you're probably working through, Madison, right? It's like everything is Zoom, right? So as much as we can be face to face through a screen, there's still that disconnect of the screen. And when we were in school, the kids were wearing masks. And so trying to like, I'm a very um, uh, engaged teacher, I suppose. I'm, I'm charismatic with my body languages and even, and you can't read the kids' faces when they're in masks. And then when we're online now, most of them are mics off, cameras off. So they're there and they're listening, but that's so hard. Like, how do you, the connection, like how, how, how do you read the kids? So that's been really difficult. And if we go with this double track idea here. There's been lots of room for innovation. Like, um, here's a couple examples. First of all, the chat feature. So when I'm teaching through Google meet, Typically in a classroom, you ask a question and, and how many answers can you hear at once? Kids, remember, you don't remember, raise the hand, you, you call on one kid, that's it, one answer at a time. With a chat, I can ask a question and get 10 answers, right? Similar to like you get all the kids, you know, there might be 25 kids in the class, they might not all answer, but lots of answers coming up. Uh, in that realm, um, Google Meet has done a good job with something called Jamboards. It's like an interactive whiteboard. 
So same thing. I'll ask a question. I say, throw your answers up. And imagine like every kid walking up to a blackboard and putting a post-it note on the blackboard with their answers. So there's some room for innovation. You've got way more voices coming up. Another huge one for me, because I'm, I'm all about getting kids books they love. And as we were talking about walking, I pushed audiobooks this year way more and the kids loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Audio, like, you know, um, uh, the best book maybe my grade 11s read last quad was born a crime uh trevor noah's book um uh he talks about growing up in apartheid and he's a comedian so i remember coming into a google meet breakout room with six boys and all of a sudden the kids were like sir like oh sorry sir sorry sir and i'm like oh wow what uh what unsavoriness have i stumbled into here right and what they were doing is one of the kids like had his phone up to his mic and he was playing this hilarious bit from Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And seeing them laugh around a book, uh, an audio book, is something they thought they were doing something wrong because like, oh, an audio book, that's not like a real book, it's not real reading. And yet that would have never come out. Uh, I mean, in the past, I suppose we've used audio books, but we really pushed them this year because again, the kids, it pushed them uh, they could go out of their houses and walk while listening. So there were some things. Oh, and then, and then the final thing I was going to say is I used more like gaming options. These kids play so many video games, so I'm not a gamer in any capacity, but for example, I start and end every class with something called Kahoot. Kahoot oh, I love like, Kahoots. Uh, yeah. You know, Kahoot, right? Yeah. So typically, I, and I'm not testing using Kahoot. It's just literally like yesterday, my focus was disrupting gender stereotypes so when they came on, the Kahoot was about famous Canadian women, right? So it's an icebreaker, but it's totally, actually yesterday, it was hilarious. I said, unmute, just unmute. And it was like the good old days where the kids were playing and they're like laughing and they're all in their houses, but there were more opportunities. I don't think all was lost in the fire. Um, the connection for sure. And, and I should say as a total disclaimer, not disclaimer, um, uh, asterisk, a lot of kids, depending on their home life and their their socioeconomic status, really did struggle during this. Um, it, it, it's I teach at a highly academic school where kids are highly resourced. So that's specific to my context. It wasn't the same for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't want to paint it. I don't want to paint it like it was. <laughs> yeah. That answers the question. No, I think that's a good caveat because I know for me, like I've been around some kids who are in a lower socioeconomic status and it has been a grind yeah. like so yes. difficult but yes um but what i do and love and I, I i also teach high school so it's different too right yeah. i teach i teach teenagers which is different than teaching seven eight nine year olds so so i i actually think the elementary teachers are the heroes of this whole thing doing virtual teaching at the elementary level that's like they're moving they're doing God's work. That is that is amazing what they're doing. At the secondary level, we've got it. We do have it a bit easier. Yeah. Well, shout out to the elementary school teachers. There you go. So good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I love about what you just said, though, is that like you weren't trying to uh, like hold to past ways of doing things, but you found different pieces that kids really enjoy, like video games, and tried to pull them and integrate them into teaching. Are there any other things or like, do you have a philosophy or way of thinking behind integrating culture with teaching while still holding to maybe some traditional things that you know about teaching and behavior? Oh, that's a good question too. Um, yeah, I, 
I, I think that there's certain ways of learning in the education system that are valued more than others. So as an example, in an English classroom, the most valuable thing that typically showcases student learning is an essay. Um, you're not that far from high school, Madison, but you remember the five paragraph essay, right? Everyone oh, I was going to say the it. hamburger style. Classic. <laughs> totally, right? <laughs> so, right, like, you know, there's, there's almost a mentality of like, sure, kids could write a poem or sure, kids, I'm having my kids podcast, actually, like, sure, they could do creative work. But ultimately, where we really see their learning is in this essay. Uh, if they write the essay or if they, sure, they can read books they like, but ultimately they have to read the classics, the great Gatsby's and the Weathering Heights and the To Kill a Mockingbirds. And, and, and I think that doesn't do our students um, uh, a service. I, I, I think that's our need to kind of, it, it's easier for us. The easiest thing I mark is a five paragraph essay. I know exactly what goes on the hamburger. I know how long the hamburger, you know what I mean? Like, so integrating culture is an interesting question. I think if it doesn't matter to the students, they'll still do it, but they won't care about it. And when they're done with it, they'll be done with it. Literally, they'll be done with it. Um, you know, uh, so what I try to do in my class is always find ways to connect timeless principles to contemporary things. Like, so here's a good example. This year, I had a great focus on anti-racism. We've had a bit of a cultural awakening um, because of George Floyd and, you know, the inequities brought out by COVID and all sorts of stuff. So one of the things we did was look at the history of um, anti-black, uh, I'm sorry, anti-black racism through music. Actually, I should say the celebration of, of, of black power through music. So we started with James Brown in the 1950s. Then you get into the night and well, James Brown is 1960s. And then you get into the seventies and eighties with hip hop and ice cube and sister soldier. And you bring up to, um, uh, fight the power by public enemy. And then, you know, you go through history using music and that resonates with kids. And, and I think sometimes that kind of teaching might be seen as like, okay, all right, music. But I can tell you the lessons stick, like the lessons stick. Or using movies. We were talking about white saviors the other day. Madison, you ever seen The Blind Side? You know, like yes. the Sandra Bullock football, yeah. you know that one, yeah. right? It's a total white savior film. So it's a wonderful, wonderful movie. But the mess, and, and, and I have the kids watch it and they come back like, oh, we love it. We love it. I said, well, what's good about it? We talk about that. And then what's confusing or harmful? And, 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 and frankly, this strong black teenage boy is positioned as a, I wouldn't use the word pawn, but he's helpless. He has no power. All the powers given. You remember SJ, the little boy, uh, and all the kids love SJ, but he's the one who negotiates Michael's contract. And, and so to answer your question, through film and through music, you can make these universal lessons about, uh, you know, human dignity and value and and uh, what it means to be a member of a community. But you, you, you can hold your curriculum or your content lightly and find ways to connect to the kids where they're at. Now, I know some of my colleagues teach using like TikToks and stuff. 
I am not there yet. I, I, that's, that's not me. Yeah. I don't understand TikToks. I, I'm a bit older, but, uh, anyways, the, the music, the film, uh, and then, oh, this is the last thing I would say. I let the ch students choose almost every book they read in my class. So the choice is theirs. And so they can explore and I'm greatly indebted to the work of, uh, of, of uh, an American educator named Penny Kittle. Um, if, if teachers are listening, haven't checked out Penny Kittle, do that. Uh, and, 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 and her advocacy is let kids start reading the books they want to read. And then eventually, then eventually we can have them read those classics kind of when they're ready to do so. So yeah, that's how I try to merge timelessness and, uh, <laughs> and where we are today. Yeah. Wow. That would be so, yeah, that's such an interesting concept to integrate. And you probably have to do a lot of learning yourself to stay quote unquote, like with the times and know the yeah. movies and the music and like, yeah. you'd have to do well, constant Madison, learning. Totally. Like you, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. And so I wouldn't, I'm, I wouldn't speak for your experiences, but I would say like we were a bit sheltered. Um, I would agree. And I would say, I would say that's positive in, in many, many ways. But, and when I think about it, I would say we didn't listen to much music. Right. We didn't like it was Christian worship. That's what we listened to, which was great. And I and I and, and my faith today is developed because of it. Learning about like hip hop in the 80s, like there's some language and some content in there that you have to work through. And for sure. So you're learning all the time, listening to music um, by artists that maybe like a lot of my students listen to rap, which is just not my personal uh, preference. And yet that's where they are and the messages are powerful. So you go into rap a little bit <laughs> and then I find myself working out and rap comes on my playlist and I'm like, why is this on my place? Oh, this one's for my students. I got it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all about like entering into their worlds. So good. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. 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 So as part of your teaching, you have also created a whole leadership thing. Mm. First of all, is that going on right now? Are you still doing that? Virtual, virtual. Yeah, we got a big session today, actually. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, awesome. It's all virtual. It's all virtual, but it's happening. Yeah. Okay, tell us more about what this thing is and how you like you were inspired to even start it. Oh, okay. So um, the name of our leadership program is SLAM. S-L-A-M, like Servant Leaders and Mentors. And... Um, so at my high school, there's about 200 students and 15 teachers involved. And Madison, if you can imagine a youth group, that's largely how it's organized. So we have big group events. We have then small groups. Uh, we call them triads. We would call them triads. A triad is actually, that's the core of SLAM. A triad, we took a, a, a verse from Ecclesiastes where a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so that's how we, the triad. And the triad is like six or eight students led by a teacher. And in that triad, they engage in discussions about leadership. And the big thing they do is they work towards a service project in the community. So they try to identify groups that may be in need and then go and complete um, some kind of service to the community. That's, that's the core. The, the, the organ we started slam after watching our leaders go on like 
I don't know if you remember doing like acquire the fire type things, like a weekend retreat. And so we had that, a three-day trip. We had all our senior leaders lead our grade nines for a three-day trip at Muskoka Woods. And that was wonderful. And then there was nothing for 362 days. And so the idea was slam was to take that fire. Like a lot of the kids came back from that trip, fired up to like do more. And what slam throughout the course of the year gives them is the opportunity to embrace, you know, you sound so old school, but it's a, it's, it's a classic principle. It's how I live my life. Servant leadership. That's, that's the heart of slam. The S in slam is servant. And we're trying to get the kids to see that leadership is, it is that three day trip, but it's not just a three day trip. I like to look at that three day trip. That's like a fire starter. Like, uh, you know, it gets the fire going, it gets them fired up. But then the glory of like, you know, the, the, you, you know, you go to camp, it's like, you're excited, you're cheering all your, yeah, yeah, totally. And and then you go home and it's like, wow, wow. And so we were trying to get the kids uh, to embrace a lifestyle of servant leadership. So we would talk to them about, we would talk to them about uh, if you wake up in the morning and the dishwasher is full, empty it. That's servant leadership, right? Uh, if 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 it snows, is a good Canadian example, uh, and and your neighbor is elderly, go shovel her driveway. That's servant leadership. We really did celebrate in our program those things, um, rather than presenting leadership as this like charismatic, super confident leader with a mic on a stage. That for so many kids is too far from their like realities. But what we tried to celebrate, actually your dad gave me a great book called Good to Great. Um, it's about leadership. And, 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 and the author writes about the difference between a plow horse and a show horse. Typically in leadership, the good leader is a, a show horse. He, but it, 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 he's strong and he's confident, but typically the world revolves around him. The level five leaders, the great leaders are the plow horses, the ones who like will do the stuff they, they're, they're loyally committed, but they will work and work and work without the glory. And so we tried to celebrate plow horse mentality. It's actually a joke in slam, like kids like plow horse, plow horse. And, and so on social media, we'll post that kind of image. We'll post the kids with the garbage bags. We kind of capture them, picking up, cleaning up the mess. We try to celebrate that stuff. And I, and I think, frankly, Madison, I, I'm an introvert. Growing up in high school, if someone said, I want you to be a leader to go to Muskoka Woods and get on the stage, I'd be like, no way. Because high school is so awkward. It's such an awkward time. that that. But, but if someone said, hey, you're going to be a leader, take this garbage bag and go clean up the mess, I think I could have connected with that a lot more. And celebrating leadership that looks like that uh, versus leadership that looks, you know, like, the Justin Trudeau's and the Barack Obama's like to me that that to me is 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 a kind of leadership. Um, and yet I don't think it's as relatable for kids, for teenagers. Mm-hmm. So that's where slam came from. The the idea of we want you to embrace a lifestyle of not just a trip. That's part of it for sure. But a lifestyle of service, of, of, of caring about other people. That's so good because I like I've been on multiple camp experiences. Even when I was in like a six month Bible school, at the last month they were literally prepping us to enter back into yeah. the real world because they're like, "You've been on a 
in this little bubble for this time. And when you enter back in, you're going to be super passionate, super hyped. And then it's like the dramatic drop off. And then yeah. you just kind of flounder a little bit. So the whole lifestyle what they, thing. What did they tell you? How did they, that, that's fascinating to me. What did they tell you in that prep? Like, I'm curious. They pretty much just called it out and they were like, when you go home, you are going to struggle and you are going to feel like you totally have dropped off. You're going to be super passionate. And then all of a sudden you're not going to know what to do with your life. And they basically just were like, acknowledge it, know that it's going to happen, but then figure out, like, go back to what you know and walk with that, like going forward. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it's good stuff. And even like on simple retreat weekends, I remember that youth leaders would say, you're going to go home and feel super passionate and then it's going to fade. And that's just kind of what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I feel like the the high and the the passion that comes from that, it's it's exciting. There's an adrenaline rush that comes with that. Whereas picking up garbage or emptying the dishwasher is so not exciting. So how do you, ins- <laughs> it's just not, <laughs> it's not, especially when you're that inside. No, you're right. It's not. Especially it's not. when you do no. it like day in, day out. Yeah. So yeah. how do you, well, I'm sure like your kids aren't inspired all the time to do it, but how do you at no. least help them feel semi-inspired to want to live a life like that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think you model it. So that's a huge thing. I, I I try to model it. I try to model garbage picking. I had a, I had a principal, my first principal. I remember walking through the school with him and we're like talking about my contract. And I'm like, I was in a permanent teacher. This is my first year of teaching. And as we're walking, he's bending over and picking up garbage in the halls. And then he's like, wait, what were we saying? I'm like, uh, <laughs> like he literally like, the, you know, his mind was of two minds getting my career on the roll, but also like picking up garbage. Like, so I think that's part of it. You model it. I, I can remember we did this overnight camp out at our school. We, the kids stayed at the school overnight, all sorts, you know, those fun overnight, like things and I remember the next morning it was a mess, right? The place was, the school was a mess. And I, 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 I got down on the ground and I'm literally scrub, scrubbing like gum or something off the ground. And I look around and there's three kids beside me, right? Scrubbing mm-hmm. beside me. And so I think that's part of it. I think, I think modeling it. You also talk about it a lot. We talk about it. Like, I think you have to talk about it. When we started Slam, that was my biggest frustration that the kids weren't getting it right. They weren't getting like servant leadership. They just wanted the trip. And then after the trip, they wanted me to write a reference letter for their university. And, 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 and and that to me was like, they're missing the point. That was the first year we're five or, or six years into slam. Now it's actually so funny. We did this event, uh, in the spring before everything closed and it ended with like those confetti things blowing up, you know, oh, like a so confetti boomer, right? like like a ball, right? But that left a mess on our field, right? And I would say instantly there were 15 kids down on their hands and knees picking up like these little like confetti things off the ground. And my colleagues are like, Adrian, come on, man. They get the point. They get it. Sir, look at them. Let them go back to class. I'm like, okay, guys, we're not going to get it all. Let the wind take some of it. And But six years later, I kind of saw the fruit of, we'd been talking about this. We, you know, we would, before every trip, I, I wouldn't, I would always, always put up, like I would put up a picture of a horse in the field, the plow horse thing, or I would read them 
the child book, like be a bucket filler. Like we oh, would just book. talk about it. And then the last thing I would do, these guys are so visual. I would, I, we would use our social media, right? So I remember the first year we did Muskoka Woods, one of our groups left a, a letter in the cabin to the Muskoka Woods staff. Like, thank you. We loved our trip. And, and the last thing I showed the whole camp was that, that letter. The next year, there's five letters left. The next year, there's 10 letters. And then it's become a thing, right? So over time, or like I said, we, we, after we, again, we played this, whenever we do something uh, uh, and, and the kids get it, we try to, if we can get it on camera, like them with a garbage bag, we'll put it up on screen. And, and I think you then celebrate it. So to answer your question about inspiration, no, my, my dishwasher is full right now. Right. So no, it's not exciting all the time. Um, but I think modeling it and, and talking about it, um, and then publishing it, um, and then the last thing I would say is, is let them do it together. All of our service is done in the triad, right? So it's not when, when you come home from camp, sure, you're going to be out there. You're, you're outside the bubble. But if you can find your people and you know together you're going to do this together, it does. it is easier, right? Mm -hmm. If you know that your, your buddy in the city over or the house over is doing this too, and then you can come back and talk about it with your small group throughout the year, then um, that helps too. I think all those things do help. That said, it's a dishwasher, but it's got to get emptied. So uh, servant leadership. <laughs> That's funny. Sometimes you just have to do what you have to do. <laughs> you have to do it. That's right. But yeah. it seems like there's a, there's power in storytelling and mm. like the inspiration of telling the stories and then people are inspired to then do more and want to be part of a bigger purpose and a bigger story. Mm. So they want to do it as well. Mm. So, and the yeah. community piece is key. I find that one so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so besides the, maybe the potential like passion and then drop off, do you see other barriers that you watch students consistently face as they like live life or as they try to enter into a state of servant leadership? Um, you know, when I was thinking about our conversation, one of the questions you asked me was like, what's something that you need to remember or that that you, Madison, need to remember as you work with young people? And I, I started thinking, I thought that was a great question. I think remembering that this is the most awkward time in a person's life. <laughs> High school's the worst. It's socially, true. right? It it's so awkward. Like the cafeteria, right? Like kids. I, you're younger than me, but I didn't have a cell phone going into a high school. So I watch kids walk into the cafeteria and, and put on, lift up their phone and, and then keep their head down until they get to their cafeteria table. And, you know, we boomers might look at that and say like, oh, come on, these kids, they're addicted to their phones or whatever it is. I think honestly, that phone provides them like a um, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. So like a cloak of invisibility to just get to their people without getting embarrassed. And so a common barrier to answer your question is the, the fear of the fear of being seen, frankly, like, uh, you know, they want to be seen, but they don't want to be embarrassed. And and so when I ask them to think about servant leadership. I think it's like to look different, to like be the guy who's doing the, 
to, to be the weird one, picking up the garbage. That's weird. Like that's weird to, to, to be that person. And I think they want to fit in with their friends. I, I think that's so, I think it's so important for people who work with, with, um, teenagers and, and not even teenagers. I'm awkward and I'm almost 40, right? Like that. I, I, I think remembering that, that people really want to do kids want to do good things mm -hmm. and they're so, so hyper aware, like so hyper. They, they think, I don't know about you. I remember high school. I thought that everyone was looking at me all the time. Oh, I always. thought that. Yeah. You're, you're always thinking, how are they? So you're navigating the world uh, through the lens of like, what are they thinking about me? They're looking at me. I can't do this. I get so, so I think that's a barrier. Just like not they, you know, they want to stand out. Sorry, they don't want to stand out, but they also want to be unique. <laughs> so it's hard. And they're and, and I think that's hard. They want to be, you're told to be authentic, be who you are. And they're also hearing, like, you know, don't rock the boat too much, because then you might lose some friends or you might not be in a certain crowd. Um and so, yeah, I'd say that's a barrier, like getting kids to embrace a lifestyle that's different when they so they want to. But there's so many peer, you know, there's so many peer influences on their lives. It's hard, right? You tell kids if you see bullying online or if you see racism online, if you see microaggressions online, call it out, call it out. You know how hard that is for a 15 year old? Like They want to do the right thing. And yet they're afraid of the they they. they it's hard. It's just hard. It's hard to, it's hard to challenge friends. It's really hard. Uh, that's a Harry Potter reference. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's harder to stand up to your friends than it is to stand up to your enemies. It really is. So, yeah. and I don't mean like, yeah, I, anyway, so, so asking them to be different in a time when they just want to fit in, that's a barrier for sure. Yeah, hmm. for sure. Do you think there needs to be, it's, okay. So one of the things that I have noticed, especially talking to generations older, is that they look down on this next generation and point fingers and say like, <laughs> you're so entitled and all you do is sit yeah. on your phone and da, 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 da. And they just yeah. bash them, which drives me nuts yeah. because yeah. I also work with students in a smaller capacity and I'm like, oh, but they're such lovely people. They just, mm. it's the weird time. Yeah. Do you think there needs to be some sort of shift in terms of uh, Cause like, as you were saying, it's, it's like their intention is always good and we have yeah. to maybe switch to remembering that like their intention is good. They want to do good. They want to have a purpose. They want to belong. They just have no idea how to maneuver through it. And we have yeah. to maybe posture ourselves a little bit differently to, to walk alongside them rather than just like point down at them. Yeah. So what needs to shift maybe is that, I, like, yeah, what, I, went, what, what, I didn't really have a question in there. Um, no, it's a great thought. <laughs> but, but Madison, I would say, first of all, you know, the, 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 what's the generation, what's my generation called? Maybe I'm a Gen X. You know, uh, you my parents had problems. You could be the upper end Maybe, okay. millennial. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, my problem, my parents had problems with me too, right? And, and my parents' parents had problems with them too, right? And that, so that's part of the deal of being older. I would also ask the question of like, whose fault is that, right? It, when I look at teenagers today, there is an incredible amount of pressure on that. So much pressure to go to university, like pressure, like you've never, like go to university, go to university, good. I didn't have that pressure. I went to university because I didn't have another plan and there was a great university in the town I grew up with. You know, Gen, Gen Z is, 
are under incredible pressure to go to university. And so actually that entitlement part, the, you know, what we're seeing a common pattern is, is they're not actually doing like things like part-time jobs. They're not because they're trying to do other things like uh, be in the right extracurriculars and get the right marks. And so what's happening is the parents also feeling the pressure to get their kids into university are kind of like clearing roadblock, like uh, they're clearing paths away. Like they're, they're, they're not putting kids in situations uh, that we would have, or that, sorry, again, that I would have found myself in because of that pressure. I'm not faulting anyone, but there's such a pressure to go on university. And as a result, when some things are given to you, like you don't have to work, you need instead to get high marks, entitlement results. But who do you blame for being entitled? The kid who like took the thing that was given to them or the person who bought the thing? Like, I, so when, I, when we hear about the bashing of Gen Zs, that bothers me too. Totally bothered because they are a generation different. They are more different than ever, but they are absolutely um, uh, full of potential, full mm -hmm. of potential. Okay. Yeah. What potential do you see within them? Oh, nice setup. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I, yeah, I would say like, first of all, they are highly relational. Everything has to be done in community. Like it has to be done. That's the word they live. They live online. And I think if you don't understand social media, and I don't really, but what I see is TikTok to them is not like just a waste of time. It's not, it's where they see their friends. It's how they connect with their friends. So everything is relational. So what, and, 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 you know, when we go on these trips, we have a no phone policy and the kids love it, right? Uh, uh, they love getting away from their phones because they are an addictive thing. That said, the phones connect them to each other. And I think people might look at it and say, it's not real. It's not real, but they, they connect. They, that's so they're highly relational. They're really good at relationships. I would say like when you then they, they want them. What I mean by that is they want to be with their friends. They want to hang out all the time. That's so important. Connecting with other people. Uh, the other thing I would say is they are highly, highly oriented towards social justice. They, they want to go out in the world and, and make a difference. They want to make a difference. I think that has to do with the fact that they have access to what's going on in the world through social media, right? Like, you, you know, I, I, growing up, I found out what was going on around in the world is, you know, if my parents watch the news at six o'clock, that's where now they're getting instant updates on what's going on. They all watched George Floyd's death. They all watched the trial. In my, I teach in the Toronto Catholic School Board. Last week, there was a big vote about whether the Catholic Board would uh, fly the, 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 the pride flag. And the kids watched the trustees debate it. Like they are, like live, they are just very, very aware of um, sexism, racism, classism. They are aware of discrimination. And so they really do want to go do stuff about it. So I see that as a huge potential. Putting, they they want to go out and serve. They do because, th and maybe that answers our earlier question. How do you inspire them? <laughs> maybe we don't have to. They, they know what's going on. They really are. They know. I think our role is to help them navigate through all that information. At the end of the day, they are 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, 18 year olds. And so they do need guidance on like, okay, 
you can't just go start calling everybody out who who might not have seen the same video you've seen and so we can guide them through it but that's a huge potential they they know more madison my students than i know this is the first generation of kids who has more inf they don't need us for information they don't information is at their hands so that's another potential they are they are armed now they don't know what to do with the weapon i don't think they're still in a developmental phase so you have to guide them through but that is again big potential the their their power for relationships and and their desire to go change the world is huge i see it in my students all the time my wife and i run a charity called hopes rise you know i send one email i have 30 volunteers committing to a a, day, a weekly commitment not just a like sure sir like that sounds great it's like a weekly they're showing up every single week so i think that speaks to what they value they want to go make a difference and they want to do it with their friends mm. Oh, I, that's amazing. Yeah. Just the sense of like wanting purpose <laughs> and doing something well. Yeah. And to serve because I, I do think you hit it on the head is like, there's so much information that they gather. They don't want just, they don't want more information. That's overwhelming. They yeah. have way too much at their fingertips, but then to actually take that and do something with it is, yeah. uh, yeah, I see that as a huge thing with them. So, yeah, you know, there's, um, there's a great author named Jason Reynolds and, and he wrote a book called Stamped, which is it's it's the young adult version of how to be an anti-racist. And what what he talks about in the book, and, and, and maybe you can use this as an example across whatever ism or whatever kind of discrimination uh, the kids want to fix. He, he says there's a difference between being an anti-racist and saying I'm not racist. And, and people often say I'm not racist. Uh, meaning like, you know, it, it's like you're not overtly saying racist things, but an anti-racist is someone who does something. You, you take action. That's where I, and, and I know I'm using race a lot. It's, it's, it's what many of my lessons are about right now. So, at, and, it, and it's at the forefront of everything we're doing in education. That said, that principle of the kids want to be in action it's not enough to say, well, we know. Yeah, we know. Like, we won't do that again. It's about actually saying, okay, you know, so what will you do? I, I think that's so important to understand the generation. This generation, what, what a Gen Z's, Gen, Gen Z. IYs, depending on who you're listening to, they're the, the <laughs> iGen, whatever. They, let's let's say teenagers and, and young people, um, it has to be it has to be in action. There's got to be action accompanied uh, more so than any other time. There's got to be action, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't stick. It doesn't stick to them because they're so they're so action oriented. Yeah, yeah. No, that's amazing. So over the last like five or six years that you've been doing this slam group, and even just being a teacher as well, mm. do you have one or two stories that you could share of students who have really caught on or done something very cool that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, um, I'm sure you have lots, but yeah, if, if we go you back know, to the power what? of storytelling. Yeah. So I would say all of my, all of the kids who get the best reference letters from me embraced plow horse mentality. Th those are the ones. What I find is, is it's, if a kid comes in full of self-confidence, and like maybe a bit of an ego, it's really hard to give him the plow horse mentality. 
the the best leaders in my in, in in my experience are the ones who come in thinking, I don't think I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not a leader. I, I have to persuade them to join the program. Like I I have to like they're like, wow, sir, I don't I don't know. I don't like Muskoka. They associate leadership with that trip, right? That's how they associate it. So sure, I have a story. Um a couple of years ago we were at Muskoka Woods and um this boy so we played this game and the kids ran around muskoka woods frantically and at the end of it they had collected all these like coins that they could buy from our boat store to create a boat and they had to build a boat out of cardboard and duct tape and um and then they had to sail their boat through the lake. <laughs> so That's amazing. They had to like sail. The, it was like, you know, it was it was like old school camp life. And I don't think we were allowed to be in the water, but um, they did swim tests. Anyway, so they had to <laughs> sail these boats. And it was hilarious at the end. Kids are on the beach as their boats are trying and their and their friends are like on these sinking piles of, of cardboard and duct tape and they're trying to paddle their boats as they're sinking. And and we have the kids divided by colors. So I think the yellow team won. And as soon as the yellow team's boat arrives, we have like a smoke grenade that gets set off. And the kids are going wild and they're chanting, uh um, you know, the red team is chanting, we are what red hot, we are what red hot, we are, you know, and, and it's like, it's wild. Game ends, everybody leaves to go shower up to uh, a number of kids. It was hot that day. They went right over the beach volleyball court. Three kids stay behind. They look at me, they're like, sirs, the, well, the boy, uh, um, he says to me, uh, sir, I need a garbage bag. First thing he says to me, and he starts picking up, like, honestly, that cardboard that came out of the lake. Oh, soggy um, cardboard is not fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> you had the duct tape. It was a me- We had 200 kids on the beach playing this game. It was a disaster. The moment he said that to me, I said, okay, he got it. Now, the other kids who went to the beach volleyball court or went back to their cabins to shower, not to say that they didn't embrace servant leadership, but they missed the moment. In that moment, they they missed it. Um, and so when he picked up the garbage bag and said, like, sir, where's the garbage? Like he asked me, where's the garbage bag? Like he was like looking around. And and to me in that moment, like, and that was a boy that I had to uh, twist his arm to come into the leadership program. He was quiet, uh, an introvert, um, always um he was one of my best leaders because he could empathize with other awkward kids. He was socially awkward for sure. He was, but he got it in the moment. And actually that was the picture that we put on our, our Instagram, that picture of, of him holding the garbage bag is the one. And actually it's funny. The angle of the photo has a whole bunch of other kids on the beach volleyball court. <laughs> and, right? So he's in the <laughs> foreground and the kids are in the background and uh, you know, it's become a bit of a, joke at uh, uh around around our school or in our program that like oh boy you don't want to be that kid on the beach volleyball court yeah, no, because that's that really moment. what we celebrate so it was just this moment where you know everyone was caught up in the moment and and still he was able to to find his plow horse and so you know i have lots of stories like that where where the kids did that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and so that's that to me speaks to the nature of them wanting to make a difference in the world. Uh, and it has to be experiential 
And and when it's advertised, not advertised, when it's spoken about highly, kids can get service le- servant leadership. They really can get it. I I, I do believe that. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, as you are leading these students in and talking about leadership and stuff like that, I have consistently held to the line about how the hardest person to lead is yourself. And I know it's, it's hard. It's hard. And yeah. I know like when I look at, to use the phrase, like the big wig leaders, you know, the, the ones that are on the stage kind of thing who talk about leadership, I always have this question in my head of like, okay, but what are you doing behind the scenes to actually lead yourself mm-hmm. rather than talking about it? So for yeah. you, what does that look like? Like, how do you lead yourself in your life well, yeah. and I know you talked about like modeling and so being on the ground, like with them, that kind of thing. But are there other things that you do to lead yourself well so that you can lead them well? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I know you speak the Myers Briggs, so the Myers Briggs, <laughs> right? So on Myers Briggs, I'm an I'm an INTJ. Um, if listeners follow the Enneagram. Or understand the Enneagram. I'm what's called the challenger. And oh, you're the eight. Cha- yeah, I'm an eight. Yeah. So challengers and INTJs, I grew up again in Christian circles, are told a lot that we're too much. <laughs> that we that that or or that we're we, we or we're not empathetic enough. We're not human enough. We're 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 too strong. The best image of a challenger is think about the dimmer switch. And so growing up, that's been hard, like coming in full tilt to a cause that I think is passionate and people being like, Shh, like just hard. You gotta, you gotta. So when we started slam, like I upset tons of people, the other leadership in the group, other leadership groups in the school. I, I typically like, I, I, I ready fire aim. That's, that's how I kind of go. Right. And, and so I know my heart is good. I know my intentions are good. But when people question you, you start to question your own motives. Did I do that for my own ego? Was that all about me? And so how do I lead myself well? Um, I would say I have some wonderful mentors. You know one of them very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Good guy, good guy. (laughs) He's a good guy, yeah. So your dad's been a mentor of mine. Um, I have other mentors, but uh, uh, um, my therapist I speak openly about my therapist and what mentors and therapists do, I think is they help you talk to yourself better. They, they help you understand better self-talk. So when I get, when I make a mistake, you know, one, one, one form of self-talk that goes through my mind is see, this is your ego again. This was you trying to do too much. You didn't listen to people and that can be damaging. It can put me, it can put me down and make me feel like I don't want to try again. What mentors and my therapists help me do is understand or talk to myself a little better. Uh, Adrian, you're okay. You're just maybe one step ahead. Um, maybe you could have asked a question yet. The kids love what you're doing. It matters to them. And so to take care of myself, to lead myself well, I I try to replace those voices in my head that can really like it can really not you, right? Mm-hmm. Like you start mm-hmm. doubting yourself. So I, I try to let those voices, other voices, another, I should have said my wife, my wife, if I'm not sure about my motives, I always go to my wife because she understands me 
like, I think that's important to which voices are you listening to, mm. right? If it's a, a comment online or something you heard off the, if that person's not fully invested in who I am and my development, then, then I have to choose to say like, thank you. And, and I'm going to go somewhere where someone who truly understands me can give me, give me truth if it's needed that I, that I need to hear. And so I think it's important to surround yourself with people who get you. That's so like get you deeply, not like know you, but like get you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really, really important to me. Um, that's, that's how I, I try to lead myself. I try to read a lot too. Um, as a white, uh, able-bodied, uh, uh, male, I, I typically operate in the world. I don't really have to listen because I have so much privilege. And so I try to read a lot. I try to, I try to read books by racialized authors or female authors or, or two LGBTQ plus authors to, to try to understand things that I might be missing that my own own experiences um uh just don't allow me to see and the last thing i would do is i i do value my physical health so i i walk uh i walk ten thousand steps a day i track it on my fitbit and i i you're one of those people yeah i'm one of those (laughs) yeah that's my that's my challenger side where you know what they say about challengers is if it's worth doing it's worth overdoing that's what they say about people (laughs) like me right so um I'm an Enneagram. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm an Enneagram three, so I get that oh, on another level. The achiever is um, your dad. A, is your dad a three or an eight? An eight. He is okay. Yeah. So you know, you know. Oh yeah, threes and eights <laughs> are very similar. <laughs> <laughs> but eights are eight, eight. If you need things to move forward, you need eights, right? You need eights. You need it, and you and you need threes, right? You need threes to, but but sometimes threes and eights can come across as like having an ego or being a bit too much. Right. And so when you hear that feedback and, and, and in a Christian circle, sometimes it's not even valued. You want like these soft, uh, I'm putting this in air quotes, like spirit filled people. And the beauty of the Enneagram is every piece on the Enneagram is a part of God's spirit. So, uh, but you hear these messages that maybe you're too much, tone it down. And so I think in those moments to lead well, you have to find people who know you and get you and 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 listen to those voices a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm a big proponent of, and you are too, obviously, because of even just the name of your podcast, but thinking of like your holistic self. So as you were describing yeah. the things that you have on your list for uh, how you lead yourself, you touched on the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual, which... Yeah. I think like you have to have all four because if you don't have one, yeah. then like all the other ones are going to crumble in some way. So. Yeah. And they all, and they all work together. Don't yeah. They? Like yeah. 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 Absolutely. Okay. So we are getting close to the end of our time. So I have two final questions for you. <laughs> yeah. And the first one is like, so we've both mentioned and have talked about that. We are both Christians, follow Jesus, love him with everything we've got. So is there a particular story or person in the Bible that you tend to gravitate towards? Huh. Just for curiosity's sake. Yeah. You know what? When I was in my early 20s, when I was a young man, I would say the stories in the Bible that resonated the most with me are the ones this, I didn't know I was an eight then, but this speaks to that. Uh, the ones where somebody suffered for the cause, <laughs> right? Like the guys who went to the lion's den or the five Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, 
um, again, your dad's getting a lot of shout outs here, but it, when I was 22, he gave us a sermon by a, a man named Erwin McManus called the barbarian way. Oh, it's and a good that one. Later became, right. Right. And in my early 20, that resonated, right? Like, you know, move forward, right. These guys who gave their lives and were never given what they were promised. And, and those stories at that point in my life resonated a lot. They really did. I would say though, not though that was true. I think you go through different seasons. So different people in the Bible stand out to you differently. The season that I'm in right now, um, I'm trying to move, and I know those barbarians were spirit-filled. The spirit is showing up a little differently in my heart right now. Maybe it's pure exhaustion from the pandemic, but I'm trying to, today I'm more comforted by verses in the Bible that are about my soul. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, the classic in Psalm 46, like, be still and know that I'm God. Or or when, when Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary, and, and I will give you rest. I, or when, you know, what I've learned in my experiences, people don't want an, a barbarian. They need a, bar they want a barbarian sometimes, but they don't want a barbarian when they're suffering. Mm. They don't want that. They want someone who is filled with, like, the spirit a spirit led person. And when you truly suffer, when you go through isolation or depression or, or infertility or self doubt or whatever those things are, you want a spirit. You don't want a guy with a sword in those moments. You, you, you want somebody else. And so right now in my life, well, the barbarian, I think I'll always be a barbarian, but what's showing up or what's connecting with me a little more is soul keeping um, it's another name of John Ortberg book, Soul Keeping. I was going to um, say, that's also a good book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I think your dad gave it to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go Matt Eckerd. <laughs> uh, we should have just had him yeah, on yeah, here right. as well. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 So, uh, anyways, um, yeah, like that to me is where I find myself a little more. I'm not, not, not a club, not a barbarian club, more of, uh, I can't think of a good metaphor, but more of, uh, a, a candle maybe that's not a great image i'm an english teacher i should be better here but more of a a rest a restfulness like a, a river maybe a river is a better image right now a river that 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 is filling filling me and, and hopefully then i i can carry that and, and 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 as i'm filled by the spirit help others um so yeah i think i think the bible what resonates with you connects Different things connect at different points in your life, depending on what you're going through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Thanks for sharing. Okay. Yeah. The final question for you is because this is the courage to podcast. What do mm. you think of when you hear the word courage? What does that mean for you? Mm, courage. So cliche English teacher is going to quote. Ah, uh, yes. I would expect nothing <laughs> less. <laughs> so one of my favorite, books is the book to kill a mockingbird and um the main character is a character named atticus finch and he defines courage like this and when i spoke at my uncle's funeral years ago and when i think about what courage means he says this courage is when you know you're licked before you begin but you begin anyway and see it through no matter what 
you rarely win, but sometimes you do. I've taught that book 25 times. So there you go. I, I think that's what courage is to me. In the context of that quotation, he's talking about this lady who, who is dying of cancer. And at the end of her life, she wants to break her morphine addiction, what they would have used to help cope with it. And, and, and when he's talking about her, he describes her as, look, she wanted, she knew that the life, life was going to be so hard. Life was going to be so challenging for her. And yet she chose to endure with no certainty of it on the other side. Um, no certainty of, sorry, I don't mean the other side. And like in heaven, there's no certainty that like, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. There was no certainty of that. I think that's a, a wonderful cliche, but I don't think it's true. Uh, sometimes it just kills you. Um, and so I think courage is when you start something and you have no guarantee that you're going to win. I've heard faith described that way too, frankly. Faith is, true faith happens when you have no backup plan. I, I think that happens in courage when you, you courage the most courageous people, you know, we look at the lives of Nelson Mandela and, 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 and what, and mother Teresa and say, they see, but they didn't know that in the moment. They didn't know that what they were doing, like how it was going to end. They just, they, they, they were beat before they started and yet they, they endured. And that to me is courage. It's, it's maybe it's servant leadership. It's, I'm going to keep washing feet. I'm going to keep picking up garbage. And then maybe one day people will recognize that. Maybe they'll say, hey, he was a good leader. And if I don't get recognized, I'm still going to courageously do this anyways. Just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I always I, I always think of Atticus when I think of courage. Mm. Uh, always. Yeah. I have yeah. not read that book in a very, very long time, but maybe I need to pull it out. <laughs> You sure do. Yeah, Good to Great, uh, the Jim Collins book about leadership. And we've talked about a lot of great books. Uh, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime and To Kill a Mockingbird. Some some good books for your next list, Madison. I'll add them to my bookshelf, <laughs> my ever-growing yeah. bookshelf. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Well, we are now at time. This has been awesome. Oh, wow. I know. That time, was great. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> so. Well, do your, do, your, do your listeners know that we recorded at 6 a.m.? Uh, they do now. <laughs> yeah, that speaks to your commitment, Madison. That speaks to you. I think I said, let's do it early. You're like, how's 545? I'm like, I need to get to six, please. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, that up for speaks, whatever. Yeah. I've watched the yeah. sunrise out the window here. It's been lovely. Cool. So it's beautiful. It's a great way to start the morning, I would say. Yeah. Although I will admit yeah. I do have coffee in hand. So that is yeah. also a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this has been awesome. Thank you so much for hopping on and uh, jumping on this podcast that is just an experiment. So it's been great to have you here. And uh, if people want to listen to your podcast, what is it called again? Yeah, it's called Wholehearted Teaching. Wholehearted Teaching. It's on iTunes or Spotify or, or Google Podcasts. It's called Wholehearted Teaching. Um, and I think it's applicable, the idea of wholeheartedness, even if you're not a teacher even if you're not a teacher yeah. or, or teaching in some <laughs> capacity of some way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what, Madison, every single person with kids this year became a teacher. That is true. <laughs> and then people without kids are teaching in some capacity as well. So yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for hopping on and uh, we'll be back next week for another episode. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't know about you, but I pulled a lot from that. Just 
having the honor and the privilege to sit and be present and hear some of the things that Adrienne was sharing in that podcast was phenomenal. If there was anything that stood out for you, I would love to hear it uh, just to make this more of a community conversation. But later on this week, Olivia and I are going to dive in a little bit further into the courage to lead and what that looks like and also just unpack a few of the things that Adrian said because there were some incredible gold nuggets um, and some things I know that I personally took away, especially when he was talking about the courage to lead yourself as well. Um, he and I have very similar personalities when we're talking about the Enneagram. He's an eight, I'm a three. And so there are some, some similarities there. Uh, and some of the things that he shared, I personally really resonated with. So I'm, I'm learning along the way here. So check out uh, later this week on Thursday when uh, the debrief episode gets released with Olivia and I as we talk about the courage to lead. But there's some good stuff to, to sit on and to chew on uh, from that episode. So thank you so much for tuning in. And thanks again to Adrian for, for popping on and being our first guest on the Courage 2 podcast. <laughs>